welcome everyone to a conversation of the Child Health Advisory Council Career Physician. Today we're, we're going to have a conversation among our advisors and, and career physician leaders uh, about how to, how to attract talent by making sure we're looking at the candidates point of view and creating a culture that candidates want to want to join. Today we'll be uh, in our discussions will be Craig Hillemeyer, Christine Gleason, Valerie Okapari, Arnie Strauss, Bob Sowen, Wesley Milliken, CEO of Career Physician, John Hayes. And we'll start off today by asking a question. Wesley, what's your view of the importance and, and what is a candidate-centric recruitment culture. Thank you, Bruder. You know, I think as we move into a unique time in academic pediatrics where, you know, the available talent is not is not meeting the demand, you know, it's going to become more and more important that organizations think more about their recruiting processes and are their recruiting processes institutionally focused or are they candidate focused? And I'm glad we get that chance today to talk about you know, some of the differences in that. I, I think candidate-centric is more in reality than just the itinerary you send to a candidate. To me, it's really the culture, you know, your talent culture, how do your faculty, how do your administrators, how do your executive assistants and your leaders think about the recruiting process, right? Do they Do they view it as somebody has to prove their worth to us before we give them our best? Or is your culture set up to where you showcase your best regardless of of the candidate because you know we've moved into a day where you know i, I guess i can say if if you find yourself in your organization saying if they get to the second visit then we will give them our best that would be a key indicator that that you're an an institutionally focused culture you know, things like when you invite the spouse on the first visit, you know, is it the first visit? Is it the second visit? Is it when does your chair or when does your hospital executive team meet the candidate? Is it the first visit or the second visit? And obviously some of this you can't do for every faculty recruit, but having been in the executive search business in child health for the last 25 years, I can tell you that there's still a lot of institutionally focused, you know, hospitals and departments out there. So candidate centric to me, you have to know, you have to get to know the candidate. You, you really, is it just a CV that you pass around and then you get to know them when they show up on site or, you know, are you having meaningful conversations with people before they come to campus? Are you designing visits around what they say is important to them versus what you want to show them. Uh, I think all of those things fall into a candidate-centric visit. And, you know, we, we talk about the cost of failed searches and the impact those have on divisions and departments. And, you know, like I said, we've, we've really moved into a time of, of critical, you know, critical capacity. And so, again, I'll, I'll stop there. And, you know, I see Bob has a comment and Look forward to hearing what everyone else has to say. Wesley, I was just wondering the point you made about how important it is and how recruiting in academic medicine is evolving. And yet it seems like recruitment has always been something that's just been assumed. You know, there's it's kind of organic. Do you think there's a role or have you seen good examples where institutions have 
actually trained, if you will, or educated the faculty and others about the best way to conduct a recruitment? Uh, you know, is, does the responsibility go beyond the the chair or the dean? Should should rank and file be involved and in, in prepared for the best way to conduct a, a candidate centric visit? Bob, it's I'll share a story with you that I think answers your question. We we were working with a client. We were recruiting a, a world class surgeon to the organization. The chair of surgery of of the client was caught up in the OR, and so the the candidate uh, was sitting in the hotel lobby in the restaurant or the bar and decided to have a glass of red wine while while he waited on the chair to pick him up. And so he he submitted the the expense to the, you know, as part of his interview experience and uh, for a $7 glass of Pinot Noir and the administrative assistant for the chair lectured the candidate that that was against their policy and that they could not reimburse them for the $7 glass of wine. And, you know, that's a really simple example, but the, the candidate, the impact that had on the candidate, it said something about the organization. It said something about their ability to recruit world-class talent and to be nimble, right? Instead of, you know, process driven. And so, but I think to get to empower the whole organization to be thinking about what's best for the candidate, just like we do for the patient, right? But, you know, I think that's, that, that'd be an example, Bob. And I think you really, the answer is yes. I think you need to make sure of from, from top to bottom in every institution that people understand what you're trying to accomplish with your recruiting processes so that they feel empowered to do the right thing in that moment that could cost you a candidate. And, and, and I think it, it in a process, right, it can, it can be not only internally to your organization, but, you know, the realtors that you use, the hotels that you use, the restaurants that you send your candidates to with your faculty, are they all in on it, right? Do they all understand the goal and the mission of the process? Because uh, it it can it can maybe save you from comments that can cost you candidates. So, Chris. Well, thanks, you, Wesley. You you made me think of of an institution that I was I was recruited to a number of years ago, and and the institution, the medical center, the entire medical center had a a, re, a recruitment office, a recruitment center. It was very impressive to me as a candidate. This was this was for a chair position, but I think it was used for a number of leadership positions. And it was a well-oiled machine. It made me feel so valued when I came. It was all worked out, you know, the, the ho- like you mentioned, you know, the hotels that, that you stayed at, who picked you up, who, somebody to guide you around, you know, and all the visits, the various, the realtor, the, the this, the that the way the itineraries were set up, the information they asked me for before I came, did I need this, did I need that? It, it, was, it was part of an overall office. And to me, it really reflected the institution's commitment to a candidate-centric recruitment process. When you mentioned what you need to learn or, or have, to have a candidate-centric recruitment and interview, I think it's really important. It just made me think about, you know, how much you learn 
or not about someone. And there's all these, you know, sites. And so what information is, is, do you put on there about yourself that you want, say, an institution who's recruiting you to, to know? And what do we ask for besides, you know, the CV? You know, what are important things that you're allowed to ask and so forth, or that somebody is willing to reveal or wants you to know about them before they launch into the process? And we get that a lot now with the virtual interviews that are, you know, done, you know, before somebody actually comes for a visit. But even with that, I think it's important to think, well, what do you really, what do you really want the candidate to be able to let you know that's important to them before they come for a visit or even as they're exploring an opportunity? So it, 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 was, in, it was interesting to me when you said, well, what, what, do you, what, do you, what, do you, what do you do ahead of time or ask of the candidates? to make sure they know that you are really focused on what's important to them, why they're looking at the position, and what you can provide for them when they come for a visit, virtual or otherwise. Becoming self-aware about your recruiting processes is, is the first step, you know, because across a department and its 20 plus divisions, if you will, there are probably 20 different recruiting processes. If I had to, if I had to guess, unless somebody says we have surveyed our divisions we know how they each recruit we've implemented standards for excellence as it relates to being candidate centric that we know every division is doing and I, I just haven't found many across the country that have gone to that level and i think an in-house recruiting group is a real asset not only do you as the candidate chris as you referenced during your your recruitment experience right but as a leader in academic pediatrics, the number one thing you've got to do is recruit and retain, right? So when you saw that talent office, it probably helped you as a candidate not to be intimidated by, I've got to recruit 12 faculty, right? Because then you have a resource that's going to help you do that. And so I think it's a it's an added value in the recruiting experience to see those type of assets as a candidate even. Valerie? Yeah, as I was listening to all of your examples, I almost think we should retitle this, you know, how to avoid an institutionally arrogant, you know, search, because quite honestly, your examples and the opposite of what Chris just described, you know, is the difference between being incredibly arrogant and almost disinterested in a candidate's experience. Uh, to the point of having it be really the central focus. I, I recall one example in my career of many examples, but of, of a candidate who came to interview with me, but I didn't know that they were actually being recruited. I thought they were actually already a faculty member at the institution and they were actually being recruited by another department. And the individual sought me out because they had, you know, some research interests that overlapped with me. And we had a marvelous meeting, you know, it was, you know, engaging. I, we thought of some individuals we could bring into a research project. We spent, you know, 40 minutes discussing. It was just a fantastic meeting in an otherwise day full of administrative meetings. And after the fact, I learned that this individual wasn't even at the university. And he called me and thanked me for the meeting and then told me he wasn't coming because Outside of his interview with me, every other experience he had had was just dreadful. 
And we all reflected on this. And I think what ended up being the reason it was such a dreadful experience is nobody had been prepped that this individual had interviewed with around why they were a candidate, what was the interest of the institutional recruitment, you know, why this individual individual was selected out. And I think it was a, an example of just arrogance at every level translated from just not being prepared, not thinking through what the candidates, what any candidate's experience should be through an interview process. So, you know, I, I think that preparation prior to is so critical in making sure that you don't come across in the exact opposite way that you really think you are or you intend to be. Yeah, Valerie, we, we as a firm really press our leaders that we're doing searches for, you know, when they're, when they're, when a candidate's coming in, not, not to just send out the itinerary, but to send out the itinerary with a cover letter that really lays out the strategy, lays out the opportunity, lays out what they like about this candidate and really ask their faculty to pause for 10 seconds. You know, you run into your, to your meeting from the clinic or whatever, but just to pause and think about what you love about the organization and why you're there. And, and I think those kinds of things really, really, uh, you know, following up on your point, uh, help to prevent that from happening. Craig. Thank you. Wes. I was just going to say that I think that one of the things that oftentimes gets overlooked in the interview process is giving the candidate an opportunity to express their concerns what they find is important and what they're worried about in terms of, of actually moving themselves and not just not just their lab or their professional career, but their family to that area. And I think that it's really important that many people in the interview process ask that question. I mean, obviously not phrased that same way, but really get at what is important to that candidate for them to consider making that move, because oftentimes people forget that aspect of it. And then I think another thing that I have found important in, in recruiting is to really try and have and to think a lot about the structured social interaction that you're going to be having with the candidate uh, in terms of the candidate-focused interview. I mean, the, the dinner that, that you have, who's going to be at the dinner, and, and to really give the candidate a chance to express themselves, because this is a person that you're going to be bringing into the organization that's going to be impacting a lot of people that you care a lot about. And you want to understand how they relate to people in that type of a setting. So those are a couple of the observations that I have. Craig, one of the, the, the things that we've seen is the leader always spending time with a candidate on the front end of the process and the back end of the process. It takes more time on the leader's part, but it, it definitely is a way to ensure that expectations are set appropriately and that the candidate's concerns, you know, and their joys, if you will, are, are heard and, you know, when you don't have a firm, if you're, if you're working with a firm, you should be expecting that they are doing some of that work and, and really getting an understanding of the candidate's concerns and the strengths and the opportunity, because you can play to the strengths and be ready to address the weaknesses as part of your recruiting process at that point in time. So, you know, I think those are important pieces. I learned so many lessons over the years and really began, came to appreciate, you know, understanding why people might want to move, why they might want to take a position. And thinking about that as we talk to candidates and, and when we invite them for a visit, because people, people don't move easily these days. 
and they, they don't want to take a risk in a successful academic career by making a bad choice. And they, they choose a position because they, they, they're looking at a position because they think there might be something they can accomplish that they want to accomplish to a higher degree and in your institution. And so really trying to understand what, you know, meet the candidate, talk to the candidate, understand what it is their goals are, what, why they might be interested in looking and then including them in the, in the, in the, uh, ultimately the visits composition. And I, I found it invaluable to have that early first meeting and going over the going over the agenda with the candidate saying these are you know if you these are the people you're meeting this is why we had them as part of the people you're talking to here do you have any questions you know about who you're meeting and that sort of thing so that they're comfortable as they go through the day and then and then at the like you say i always tried to meet them as the last meeting to say you know anything come up that you had questions about or that I can help you with, or, you know, how'd you feel the visit went? I think all those things are so important. And, and, you know, trying to have some standard departmental practices so that people don't have to make the same mistakes you made. You know, I found out that, you know, like uh, uh, for faculty recruits frequently, the entire division would go out to, din to dinner when I first started and, and everybody saw it as kind of a divisional perk. And the, and the candidate was sitting at the end, not learning anything, and we weren't learning anything about them. And, you know, trying to, to really give structure, as Craig said, to the social interactions. And, and, and one of the values of having a firm, as you said, is that I, I felt, you know, you had to sort of indirectly find out about what the family's needs were and stuff by asking questions about what, what personal things might would be important for you moving or things to let them bring things up. And I found that having a firm has already vetted a lot of those things to help you plan the visits sometimes. I'd, I'd be interested in hearing people's thoughts about when when to include the spouse. I know everybody's every situation is different. And, and if and when ever to, to involve the, the children, because children are pretty resistant to moving. And uh, if they don't have a good experience, that can submarine a, a recruit early on before the families had a full chance to evaluate. So I, I'd be curious if anybody in later discussion had any thoughts about that. Can't really answer Bruder's last question, but, but had another question that I struggled with often. And that was, if you had a faculty member or staff member who was a key player in the dynamic of the organization or the division, but who tended to be a malcontent or or maybe a loose cannon, you know, to not include them would be, I think, might create the impression that you're trying to hide something. And yet someone like that can certainly derail a recruitment. I just wondered if people had advice or experience with how to frame that. I, I would say, I think Bruder's comment of, of bookending the, the visit setting the expectation can potentially, I guess, warn the candidate that you're going to meet with so-and-so who was passed over for promotion and is you know, kind of upset about things or, or something like that. But I, I don't know whether people have had that same quandary that I've described. Yeah, Bob, I, I, I would say, you know, there's no perfect role. And so I, I think sharing, be, the key is being self-aware, right? So if you're self-aware about that individual, the impact they have not only on a recruiting process, but on the faculty on a day-to-day -day basis as the leader, being able to go through, whether it's for a department search, a chief search, but to go through and 
make the candidate aware of the things they may hear pluses and minuses where you're talking about some of those things and you know so and so is an outstanding interventionalist right but can can be a little bit angry at times or you know i i think when when things when things like that don't catch a candidate off guard and it's something they were expecting then it, it doesn't become as big a part of the narrative i, I think from a tactical perspective, we always advise, I would agree with you that excluding them creates, you know, it's, it creates more issues than, than not, but you would never want somebody, you would never want to put a candidate one-on-one -on -one with that person. I think group dinners and things like that, group meetings make a lot more sense because there's more accountability in those, in those environments, but it might be something you haven't thought about on the other side of it, you're actually protecting those people that have a tougher time getting along by not putting them with somebody one-on-one -on -one because then they, then it can't be asserted. Nothing can be asserted about them and their impact on the process because there would have been others present versus when you put people together like that. So, I mean, those are just a few thoughts, Valerie. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think Bob, I, I think it's critical again, as part of your preparation to you know include everybody in the interview process that's going to be critical to the candidates role and responsibilities should they take the position so if there's a faculty member within the division that has issues i think that they almost certainly have to be part of the process and they need to be prepped for why this recruitment is so critical to the division in the department what you expect of them through the process and that they are being included because they are a member of the group for which these candidates are coming through. I think going back to what Bruder said, when you do the debrief with the candidates, you know, first you prep them, but in the debrief, you know, is there anything that you heard that was different from what we discussed before you began the interviewing this week? And, you know, can you share with me any concerns or new things that have come up through the process? But I was going to add from, you know, to Bruder's really great comments that I always like to ask at the end of the interview process after we've kind of debriefed on the what actually happened, you know, are there any issues or problems or concerns or things that I need to know about that would be really critical in your recruitment? It, as open-ended a question as you possibly can pose to the candidates, because I I found in my career that that's when you've heard about the high school student who's a superstar athlete and could never leave her high school. That's when you learn that the wife is a botanist and she has a one of three jobs in the country that is only possible at this you know city that they live in. And you know that's when you hear about the you know spouses you know a disabled mother-in-law, you know, or whatever that, you know, needs X, Y, or Z. And it's those things that can really derail an otherwise perfect recruitment because it's not perfect until it's perfect for everybody in the family, spouses, and kids. So I think that those are, are some of the key strategies that I've tried to employ early on in the recruitment process, because if you can start to work on those issues before the second or the third visit, you're one step ahead of the of the game. And if you 
only hear about them in a telephone call after they've left the campus, it's really, really, really hard to start doing some field work while they're still on campus to say, well, listen, you know, I, I heard about your daughter that's a star swimmer, and I've already reached out to, you know, X, Y, and Z high schools to try and see what kind of, you know, facilities and programs we have here in this city. So I, I think that's another important, um, an important part of the debrief. John, I wonder if you had any thoughts about sure. uh, the executive side of searching in, in this regard? No, I, I think this will apply to the executive side as well as the physician leadership side. And so I think a lot of you commented on it, and I think it's very important, but I tend to segment the professional opportunity and the personal opportunity. You know, we look at a, an individual CV or a resume and we know exactly what their qualifications, experience, sort of where they've been in a very tangible way. What we don't know a lot about is we don't know what is their style? You know, what is their personality? How does that meld with our culture? How does that fit in? And the other piece to that that we touched on is from a personal aspect, what's going to attract them to relocate to this location? I, I believe that you know, we're seeing a generational change in why people pick certain locations for a career. And so we've got to put our best foot forward. That's why I'm a firm believer. And Bruder, I think you ask, when do people bring a spouse and kids on a visit? I think you bring them as early as you possibly can. I think that you bring them in because you may learn a lot from that spouse. In conversations you have with him or her, you may figure out quickly what some of those professional triggers are going to be for that individual that may not be very forthcoming about them. I think you also figure out what special needs the family may have, what may attract them to the community, what do you need to show them in the community that will really make them get excited about moving to that location versus the unknown. And so I think the personal piece to recruiting good leaders has to be just as important as a professional opportunity is. And I, I think to follow up on that, you know, the partner or spouse that uh, you, you invite, they need to have the same care and attention to their itinerary and agenda as the candidate, because, you know, depending on what their needs are, whether it's a professional opportunity or schools or, you know, facilities for their parents or, or you know, it, preschool, you, you name it. And I think just inviting a, a, a spouse or partner and then, you know, inviting with the social events is, is not and also the realtor, as Wesley said, having the realtor not show a, an assistant professor $3 million homes. And that happened to me when I started. They they, uh, they showed Barbie and I homes in Santa Monica and my salary was going to be $25,000 a year. We, we, we kind of couldn't imagine going there. So anyway, well, these are great. Just go. Ritter, can I just, yeah, I just want to add one point to what John and you have just focused on, which is the spouse and bringing them early. I agree with that wholeheartedly, but I also want to just raise the issue that if you've got two, you know, medical individuals or, you know, someone who's in health care and you're bringing them in and they're looking at a position at your institution at the same time your primary recruit is, if they do not have a good cultural experience, in other words, the prep for your primary candidate is far better and gives a really good view of the institution, but the, the spouse who's looking at a, you know, a position in another division or a position in the health system leadership, and they have a very bad view of the culture 
you're done. It's I've seen that derail so many recruitments because there is two experiences and they don't align and it's very hard to undo a non-aligning experience. So I would just add that, that your, your comment about the preparation for both is critical and everybody better be prepared to put a, you know, the best face forward. And it gets back to that comment about the arrogance of the institution, you know, well, you're the trailing spouse, you know, we're going after him, but we don't really know if we want you, you know, but we'll make a position for you because this person's so important. I mean, you're done. I mean, that's, that's the end of the recruitment. Perfect. Great. Great comment. Wesley, I'll let you, you started us off. Maybe you want to, any final comments? No, struck, struck by what Valerie said early on, as far as a, an institutionally arrogant process and, you know, the assumption that because we are blank, right, everybody just wants to come here. And I think, you know, if you think about an executive search and the work that a 18 person committee, the hours 18 faculty put into a search, for example, that because we've always brought candidates in, we brought families in only when it's the three finalists. I mean, you think about the amount of work that goes in by a search committee to get from an initial pool to three finalists, right? Only to find out that two of your finalist families won't move or or you don't have a job for the spouse of your top choice so there's so many great reasons for why you know in a in a candidate centric process it eliminates all of that right so you're mitigating so much risk to success and the impact failed searches have on organizations that i mean it it doesn't make sense to me why people wouldn't want to be candidate centric but i i think it's to Valerie's point, to sum up, I, I think they may actually think they are candidate-centric, but it's out of arrogance. And, and so, you know, again, would leave anybody that listens to this conversation with the uh, homework to truly review your programs, review your divisions, your departments, and decide if you truly are candidate-centric based on your actual process, not your opinion of yourselves. And I think both candidate and client would be better served for sure. Well, uh, thank, thank uh, our viewers for listening to us today, and we've had fun sharing our experiences. The Career Physician website has many conversations from the Child Health Advisory Council, and and encourage you to look look uh, for this information there and other conversations, and and uh, and uh, encourage you on your path to recruit and find the best leaders for your institution. Oh, 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 oh,